Rusty Quill presents. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sometimes it's like they don't even exist. The higher you are in life, in positions of prestige and privilege, 
the easier it becomes to forget about the people below you, even the people beside you. Today's story is about a man who has walked in both of those sets of shoes, the privileged and the dispossessed. Though now he's the type, by his own admission, most folks would barely look at, much less want to talk to, he's about to become incredibly important to the future of mankind's survival. But before we get to today's story, I'd like to make a few recommendations. This month's random horror recommendation is John Carpenter's 1982 cult classic film, The Thing. The movie follows a handful of men working at a remote Antarctic research station, whose lives are thrown into jeopardy after a group of Scandinavian scientists from the research station next door chase what seems to be a stray dog into their camp. What ensues is some of the best brooding, paranoid horror ever caught on film. From the direction of the legendary master of horror John Carpenter to a soundtrack composed by Ennio Morricone of the classic spaghetti western films to creature effects by the incredible Rob Botton, The Thing is a horror classic you literally have to watch. It's also tied for my favorite horror film of all time with the equally wonderful Jacob's Ladder. I'll leave a link to where you can find it in the description. This month's literature recommendation is Jeanette Wall's memoir, The Glass Castle. The book follows her and her family of misfits through her childhood in the American Southwest and eventually in the hills of Welch, West Virginia. It's a story equal parts frustrating and heartbreaking, as Walls grows up from a starry-eyed child suffering through poverty under parents she just can't quite blame for their shortcomings, to a jaded adolescent struggling with life as the child of a laughingstock and alcoholic, to a successful and forgiving adult living an almost unbelievable life in New York City. Wall's life is an incredible look into neglect, abuse, and the sort of flowers that grow from the worst of adversities. It's also one of the best books ever written about West Virginia, so go ahead and check it out when you can. And if you stay tuned, I'll tell you how our friends at Audible can hook you up with the wonderful audiobook version of the story. Now, without further ado... Today's story, Ice and Alley Walking. My hair's black, like my father's was. Not quite so black now, more of a dark gray. The years do that to you. There's not a strand of white hair and all that mess, but it's like the color's gone out of it some. I guess even something dark as black still has a little light in it that can go out. I live in the streets. If that bothers you, I guess you can stop now. It won't bother me any. People think I'm a dust head or crazy because of how I live, but that isn't it. It just suits me. I found my way to it the way people do. I had money, a job, even a car. But those things didn't matter much to me. In fact, I got sick sometimes looking at them. I had a short haircut back then, crisp up the sides like when I was a soldier. Still black, of course, though you could see through to the skin in places where they cut it low. When I get my hair cut low like that, you can see some of the scars I got fighting as a kid. 
Some of the scars I got, losing fights as a man. Beer bottle here, rock there. I had the story of my life nicked and marred into the surface of my scalp. It put people off seeing the scars, even though I didn't think them so bad. I was proud of a few of them even, but that's neither here nor there. The people that did notice them, that noticed and didn't care because they'd seen worse. The ones that asked after them because they were generally interested and wanted to compare their own. Them are the ones I became friends with. Had friends then. Had friends now. Things don't change much. Here on the streets, you just glance at somebody's face and it'll tell you all you need to know about them. If they're on the dust, worse, the cheap knockoff stuff, their eyes will be glazed and sort of yellow, like bad lighting in an old house. You can see the dust in through those windows, settling all over everything inside, making it the kind of place where it's hard to stay long without getting dirty. The crazy ones, they tell on themselves. Some of them aren't good enough company anyway. I wasn't out here long before I found out you're supposed to help them if you're one of the alley people. You don't wait on them hand and foot, just sort of get them where they're going. Crazies tend to get stuck on the environment, hooked on doors and places where they shouldn't be. You pull their coats free and set them on the path, pointing the way as they go. The good thing about the crazies is most of them are generally self-involved. They don't gossip. They don't steal what isn't theirs if they're in the right state of mind. The drug is well, but that's not a lesson takes time to learn, even if you ain't out here in the streets. The bad thing about the crazies is they might mistake you for one of their personal demons and try taking your eye out with a sharp hunk of old soup can. Lids come off of those mighty deadly, but you can rig them to make a utility knife. I lived next to a crazy under the Johnson Street overpass when I first moved out. I think it was two presidents ago. At least two wars back. I don't keep track of years because I don't have to. You got places to not be on the streets, not places to be. So you don't need a calendar. Just common sense. It was winter then, just like it's winter now. Cold. The way this part of the city gets when it wants to. Wind whipping down Carter Avenue and gusting down to the business district buildings and churning the ash piles of the old suburbs into little tornadoes. Those creep over the wreckage of the city where the buildings are high and the pollution traps don't cycle upright. They move like great big charcoal crayons, leaving insane neighborhood-sized doodles along the ground. I seen the aftermath from the 83rd floor of the Mohammed Stirrups building a few years back. It was like God was drunk with a sketch pad, trying to ham-fistedly scratch out some great mistake. The crazy I lived beside had been a dusthead and gotten out stuff years before, which he bragged about when the mood took him. The dust never quite leaves the system, unless you go get your brain scrubbed at one of the centers out in the woods past the city. But that costs the kind of money I didn't have, even when I had money. And so the crazy got sober, and little holes burned into his brain. I swear you could almost see them when he talked. Synapses trying to throw ideas to each other over an alley, 
each of them standing on the 30th floor of a building where a walkway used to be. Until all the echoing and shining got to him too bad and he bought more of the stuff, sniffed it up till all those holes were packed full and burning all hot and clear again. He would moan in his sleep. It's the only real complaint I had about him. All of the former dustheads do that. They dream bad. Nobody I've talked with about it knows why. Most people don't spare much time for dustheads and former dustheads. Sometimes he would be fine, others not. Sometimes he would stumble over to my little awning of newspapers and cardboard and try to tell me things about myself. Said he could see through to the other side that I was there. He told me he saw me creeping through the alleys for the rest of my life and that I'd be a shepherd to a million rabbits. That they'd all remember me the way people tried to remember Noah and his ark and that the world would burn down around me. He never told me his name, of course. People didn't have names in the streets and if they did, they probably weren't real names. He didn't come out here to be recognized, especially not to be remembered. I think he might have died that same winter, the crazy, the dusthead. My first winter outdoors was hard, the first always is, but it was a hard, nasty winter by any reckoning. People died, and a sort of plague swept through the streets. Pigs escaped from a slaughterhouse and spread it around everywhere. People would get holes in their bodies and all the important stuff would fall out and, and that'd be it. I was fine. I almost froze to death a few nights. The police, military, can't remember which, came by and raised our camp. I grabbed my stuff and ran for it. The crazy didn't. For all I know, he's still there in one form or another. Him and most of the others, probably. That old camp was pretty much crazies except for me. I wouldn't stay in a place like that now. I've gotten a bit streetwise in my old age. But then I was just out of doors and didn't know much about anything. I just found the first camp I could and pitched my tent. In fact, you could see my old apartment from there. I figured maybe I'd pick that place just in case the urge ever hit me to go back. Back to my old life, I mean. But it never dawned on me, even with all the dying and burning, to go back. You might not believe me, but I'm pretty goddamn happy living out of doors. I think the only thing I ever missed about leaving that old existence was women. I love women, the way they smell and feel. But I'm getting old now, and even those aging desires are starting to feel more like a memory. Fact is, I hated myself and everything about myself when I was indoors. I would wake up and look at my car and get these headaches that would make lights dance in my eyes. I worked in numbers, and that's all I'll say about that. The only reason I'm bringing it up even is so that you know I'm good at patterns, figuring them out, seeing where they lead. I can visualize things as a sort of web, sure, like a spider's web. And I see the strings and where they're tied and what they're tied to. People, places, other strings. At the time, I saw myself in the mirror every day, tied to the things in my apartment. The big bed in the upstairs loft, the dozen or so suits, the matching kitchen headset. I saw the strings leading me back and forth to work every day, in and out of that goddamn car in the basement garage. I saw them when I filled out my will and planned my life down to the days and months after 
my death. Then I just sort of walked out, and they all broke. Every single fucking one of them. I was, it was like I could see again. I walked around the block, then out of the neighborhood of high-rises full of people who could afford to live like me, then through the neighborhoods of people who couldn't afford the shoes I was walking in. I found a spot under the bridge, kicked those shoes off, and here I am today. It's not as simple as that in telling, but that's really all there is to it. The only bad part about being out on the streets is all the free time you have. The crazies spend their days talking to themselves and God, whispering secret knowledge into the wind. But guys like me just sit around to sun on our backs if we got nothing else to do. Folks turn to drugs because of that, to burn up the little hours of the day. Boredom is a motherfucker, as an old friend used to say. I was never interested in drugs, so I started writing. An old girlfriend of mine said I was good at it. I made up stories about things we passed walking. Fire hydrants, cars, people, whatever. and made them as sad as I could. She'd hate it and loved it in equal measure when I told her about how the hydrant on the corner of 324th and Goshen was sad the fire trucks never let it come visit their house. I started doodling my stories on slabs of cardboard stock and manila envelopes I'd rescue from the recycling bin behind the 49th precinct. I liked the manila envelopes best, can't tell you why, but I used these paint markers to write the stories out on them. I stole those out of the trash by the docks. The stevedores down there used them to mark parcels for shipping and would throw them out the second they stopped marking real dark but I'd get them and drag out the last little bits of ink from my scribblings. I'd take the envelopes so they'd all be laid out like a calf hide ready for tanning. Then I'd write whatever I'd write and glue up the finished thing on the walls throughout the downtown area. Don't really know what made me do that, other than maybe I just wanted to share and I didn't know how. And every once in a while, I'd go back to find them torn down and painted over. But usually they were just left alone. Sometimes I'd spot a college kid or somebody taking pictures of them, showing them to their friends. I admit, I'd have liked to go out there and talk to them, let them know I was the one writing those things. They caught on after a while, to the point I'd seen one graffitied over the entire wall of the building where it had been painted over weeks before. But people don't like guys like me. Definitely don't trust us. So I just sidle up and eavesdrop for compliments and criticism. The last one I put up, before everything sort of happened, read like this. Trees are what I remember most about that time when you would set me up in the low branches, which were high then, and I'd cry. But I've been to that tree since then. It's so small now because somebody cut the top off with a chainsaw. I won't go into what it means to me because I don't want to take away whatever it might mean to you, but it stopped the little girl trudging past me in the snow. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm at an age now where young people are indiscernible by age. She could have been 6, 8, 14 for all I knew. Done up as she was in brown burlap rags and a pink knit cap. It was a cold winter, just like my first outdoors. She stopped and read the story, her face screwing up as she got to the bottom. And then she read through the story again. Police lights were coloring the buildings behind her. But the blue and red and white couldn't reach this far down into the alleys. They never did, except when they weren't wanted to. Did you write this? She asked me. I told her I had, and she read it again, even though she had to peek around the brush I was using to lacquer it onto the wall. Something caught in her step, and she looked back up the alley and then back up at me and squeezed her arm with a thick blue glove. Are you a good person? I stopped and looked down at her. I'm not sure, I said after a while. I guess I try to be. Can you help me? She asked, looking back down the alley again. I told her maybe I could, and she told me what her problem was. Simply enough, she just wanted to leave the city. Simple, but not simple, like anything in this place. 
Things had gotten rough in the streets, even in the high-rises where the rich people lived as of late. Pain dripped down the facades from holes in the windows and pulled up in the low places. People drowned in it there, mouths full of blood and ash. It had been a while since spring had really broken the city. Even the past few summers had felt hollow and cold, despite the heat. Sounds carried a long way. Sat in the air, like you'd left the scent of you behind. People you saw in the distance maybe weren't people at all. Or at least weren't people you wanted to meet. The crazies in the camps slipped into cracks in the asphalt and never came back. The same thing happened to the dustheads. Only they did come back, and with clouds and shine coating their eyes, like their cornea had been turned into tainted alloy. I made money begging by the campus for what good it did me. I got small change compared to the good old days, but never those were. But sometimes a woman student would come by and drop twenty, fifty, a hundred dollars in my hat like she remembered them good old days too, and was there in the world to pretend they never happened. Odd things had started happening that nobody could or would try to explain. You could walk down blocks of the city sometimes and not see a living soul. Even in the business district, where the buildings split to clouds and only light came from the neon trailings over the sidewalk and archways, you would only see the hints of people. Maybe a car parked alongside the road where the hood still smoked gently from meltwater evaporating off of the hood. I found a hot cup of coffee sitting on a park bench next to a set of ass-shaped divots in the snow beside it. Normally I'd take an abandoned cup like that as a sign of good luck and drink it. I'm not particular. But something in the heart of me screamed I shouldn't so much as touch it. Come to think of it, this girl was the first I'd seen in maybe a year or more. Not a female, understand, but a child. A real human child possessed of that wide-eyed, innocent trust that can crack the ice on the edges of your heart. Not that I was affected like that, but I felt a lot of people were then. The people you could find. So I told her, yeah, I could help. Or at least I'd try. I took her back to my camp, which you had to get to by passing through a few old storm drains that were no longer part of the network. I lived in what I called the suburbs, because the outflow tunnel we all lived in was large enough that we all had yards in front of our bungalows. We had to walk quickly away from where we met, because some cop trundled into the alley, coughing up a storm and stumbling toward us. She'd been awful worried, and I'd never really been one to speak with the police after I'd gone out of doors, so we made tracks. I enjoyed her company. She told me her name, and I told her to keep it to herself from then on, but told her my own when she got a sad look on her face. I made us both tomato soup by heating up cans of stewed tomatoes I got from an old, abandoned FEMA site. I churned them up with a spork and then added pepper and some seasoned salt I kept around for company. She pretended to like it, which I appreciated, so I let her sleep on the pad in the bungalow. The girl woke me up in the middle of the night, dark as any other time in that subterranean light, because one of my neighbors was coughing up a fit. She told me it wasn't him, and I asked her who else it could be. She just shook her head and wrapped her arms around her knees. 
The girl was real upset, and the guy sounded like he was about to go down from the cough anyway, so I went around to check what was making that sound. I got sick right away when I saw it, and I nearly fell on my ass tripping over the guy lines holding up my neighbor's tent. My neighbor was there, but he was dead as a doornail. The thing held him in its lap like a baby, or maybe like you'd hold a lover while reclining at the beach. It was person-shaped for the most part, wearing business casual attire that seemed to have barely survived an oil fire intact. The clothing it wore was black, and it was black-skinned. Not like a human might have dark skin, but literally black, and pebbled and cracked as though blistered by some great heat. A toothless asshole of a mouth sat at the bottom of its head, a snaky red tongue rolling over the puckered lips to pull scraps of blackened meat from its chin and cheeks into the hole above its jaw. Maybe it had been human, I don't know. Like I said, it was shaped like a person, but a person bent all out of shape, or twisted, more like. The skull looked melted and pulled like a hot black taffy. From its cheekbones up, the bone tapered to a blunt, rolled point that came up the left of its right ear. Whatever had deformed its skull had pulled its eyes up out of the way too, so they were sitting at strange angles on the front and side of its face. They couldn't look at the dead guy and eat him at the same time. It couldn't even see me, though I was standing right in front of it. It pulled the dead guy's body around in its weirdly tender-looking embrace and twisted its own neck at a harsh angle to get a better view, then coughed a steam of black goo onto the dead guy's chest and throat. The flesh there hissed and sputtered, then collapsed downward as it melted into a bloody, black-red slurry. The thing tried to twist its mouth back around to get at the melted portion of the guy's chest and throat, but couldn't quite aim its twisted head in the right direction. Instead, it mashed the melted parts against the side of its face, the long red tongue slapping at the gore like a completely independent animal. The creature shook in frustration, then blindly pulled the dead guy's fingers into its mouth. It slurped the dead guy's entire ring finger off in less than a second, working the digit around in its maw and then spitting up each finger bone into its free hand. The bones were covered in black slobber. It kept the dead guy's hand up in the air before its face. The hand and arm were slack from death, but hanging in a languid position that made me think of some royal lady waiting for a man to kiss her hand in greeting. The thing did just that, taking off another finger and shifting its body to get more purchase with its disgusting asshole of a mouth. The dead guy's head bounced and turned toward me when this happened, so that I got a full view of his face. Nothing was left of it but twisted, blackened skull. Red and black slurry filled one of the empty eye sockets and dripped down over the bare cheekbone like a tear. I realized the creature's eye had found me as it ate. It didn't do anything to let me know it was looking at me, but I, I could tell it was. The eye peered out of flesh, twisted over a socket so bent it had squished the eyeball into an egg shape. But the iris was pure, 
undiluted blue, like the sky used to be before they turned on the pollution suppression systems. Thick film covered the other eye, which I figured to be the stretched out remnants of an eyelid. The film rippled and shifted as the eye beneath it moved. I grabbed the girl and we left in a hurry. I had a bag ready for that sort of thing since the police had started coming around, shaking down camps more often a few years ago. They liked to burn everybody's stuff to keep them from moving back in, so I always had my emergency bag ready just in case. The girl asked me about it while we were on the run. That and a lot of other things about living out of doors. And I told her everything I knew. She learned quick, setting up and breaking down camp as we moved from place to place. I taught her how to spot crazy before you got too close to somebody and how to scare off druggies and assholes before you needed to actually hurt them. In return, she taught me a little about the things like the, the one ate the guy. She said there were cracks popping up in the city that didn't lead anywhere. Or actually, I guess, she said they led nowhere. Things came out sometimes. If they got your scent, she said, they'd come looking for you. You'd hear them coming for a while before they actually showed up. Even when they weren't there. I wasn't surprised to find out they didn't appreciate sunny days or bright light in general. But the city seemed made out of dark places even in the best of times. She told me the things especially didn't like her people, and when she told me who her people were, I wasn't surprised. Most people didn't like them much, though I never really understood why. Actually, fuck that. I do understand, but it's not a thing that understanding justifies. Not a thing I like to think about either because you find justifications for things in it too easily. Things better off not thought about or done. The sort of caveman shit that seems innocuous until one day you find yourself drowning in cars and televisions and big fake meals made out of fake this and fake that in a city full of people filling themselves and each other full of fake this and that to keep something at bay. Something they can't quite put their fingers on but that they're sure still out there in the dark, that they're sure doesn't live in their house with them, kissing them before bed every night, staring at them in the mirror when they brush their teeth. But I guess I'm biased, given my lifestyle. We found the girl's people where she'd left them, and they took a shine to me, to put it lightly. The roads were stranger than, than I think they'd ever been. War had kicked off in the north part of the city, and nobody we came across could figure out between who. The televisions and the sports bars and subway terminals we passed by and through played reruns. Public service announcements dated for the past, present, and future. Old sitcoms starring people I'd never heard of. Advertisements for products. We couldn't find a use for. News reports and languages none of us understood. Press conferences, headed up by men and women we'd never seen. But whom assured us they had everything under control? And eventually, they all just seemed to turn blue. 
and play that relaxing non-music you heard on elevators. Tunes you knew you'd heard, but couldn't place. More people joined us, but not as many as you'd think. They broke their feet in wearing bad shoes and sometimes not wearing shoes at all. We climbed and helped them climb over fallen towers and through sunken pipelines. I found a man sitting in a boat in the middle of a flooded intersection who kept throwing a life preserver on a line to his own reflection in a store window. Thing was, the man's reflection had fallen out of the boat and was waving his hand for rescue. We asked him if he wanted to join us, but he was too busy. The city ends if you walk far enough to the west, which we did. We walked until the coughing stopped and people stopped vanishing in the middle of the night. Everywhere we went, I kept up with my writing, and I kept up pasting what I had finished on the walls of the alleys we passed through. I say we, but it was only ever really me and the girl. The others just sort of followed at a nervous distance, which I was fine with. I'd never really been one for company. I would tell her my stories, and bless her heart, she would start telling them back to me on nights where I couldn't write. She would tell me about seeing the strings that connect us all, and she would even add stuff, telling me about the connections we'd made along the way. Sometimes she would get misty-eyed and tell me how important I was to her. She tried to kiss me one time. And I laughed and dodged and hugged her when she cried. We walked for such a long time that she became a woman in her own right and married one of the stragglers that followed us from place to place. She gave the baby she had with that man a name and told the kid to keep that name to itself, just like I had told her when we first met, even though it was a baby and probably didn't understand. That baby was walking on its own when we stepped out into the green at the edge of the city. We stopped walking, and the girl hugged me, then stood with me as all the people behind us walked past. It took a few days. When it was all done, she kissed me on the cheek and followed them. I smiled after her, and then turned back into the city, mind wandering to the collection of junk I'd left in the outflow tunnel. I walked back the way I'd came, always seeming to be heading in the opposite direction of the people I met. They all had this dreamy look in their eyes, like they had discovered some purpose deep at the heart of themselves. I figure I looked like that when I finally left my house to go live outdoors. More than a few of them tried to push stacks of paper they carried with them into my hands. I kept refusing until I figured out just holding a stack up and letting them know I already had a copy was easier. It nearly knocked me on my ass when I read one of them and realized it was all the stuff I'd written and pasted up on the way out of the city with the girl and her people. Folks had been following our trail and copying my advice down on the way. I came across a young man doing just that, or trying to at least when I was maybe just a few days away from my old stomping grounds in the suburbs. The pen he'd been using had dried up or broken or 
whatever, so I lent him one of my remaining paint pens. He remarked on how much it looked like the ink used to write the little story I'd once pasted to the support column of the overpass we stood under. I even thought about telling him I was the one who wrote that, but like I said, people tend not to trust people like me. They think we're all on drugs or crazy to live like this. Besides, I was in a hurry to get going anyway. I'd started hearing this coughing behind me a few seasons before, when I was crossing through the overgrown infield of one of the city's baseball stadiums. It kept up with me, though every time I turned around it seemed the sounds were coming from nothing at all. The noise followed me all the way back to the city center, where I was surprised to see the signs of people again, though never any people themselves. Always there were the signs, though. A hat still covered in sweat, sitting upside down at a bus stop. The smell of a woman's shampoo inside an old turnstile. But the coughing stuck with me, even when I knelt over the old pile of bones that had once belonged to the guy who camped next to me in the suburbs. Time had bleached them right back to white, though some black still remained here and there. The creature had set the entire skeleton in a pile beside the guy's tent, which itself was nothing more than rotted tarp and stiff rubber guy lines by this point. Even my hair, black like my father's, had faded somehow to a lighter shade of black. There was a great light then, even so deep underground and a powerful explosion. The ground rolled under me and most of the tunnels collapsed. For the next few days, I wandered blind through the dark until I found a single round skylight in the ceiling overhead, maybe half a mile into the sky. It shone pure blue sunlight down onto a subterranean pond of clear water. I would later find fish in there after I set up on the banks. I ate the fish, which I found out a few years later came to the pond through the skylight when the rains overflowed. I ate the fish, which I found out a few years later came to the pond through the skylight when rains overflowed whatever river existed up there. In time, they populated the pond on their own. A rock fall blocked off the way I had come to the pond, trapping me in here to this day. If I press my ear to the concrete, I can hear coughing, but it sounds so far off I don't know if I'm actually hearing it. I don't know how many years have passed, but I am happy. I am very happy. I eat the fish and I write. There's always paper and ink for writing. The walls of this place are covered with my stories, and this is one of them. There are no need for names here, but I suppose I can tell you mine. It's Derek. What's yours? Well, everybody, that was ice and alley walking. What did you think? Have you ever found yourself out of doors or just left everything behind? Has a former Japanese salaryman stained by the influence of Zogroth ever eaten your neighbor's fingers? 
let me know in the Westside Fairy Tales discussion group, which we call the Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club on Facebook. We have a regular page there under Westside Fairy Tales, but the Horror and Lit Club is a great place to talk with other fans about the episodes, the recommendations, and even start up your own conversations about horror and writing and whatever else comes to mind. You can also send me a message personally at westsidefairytales at gmail.com or hop on Twitter at WSFairyTales or Instagram at WSFairyTales. I have links to all of those in the show notes, so just go ahead and, and check those out and it'll get you right to that. If you like the show, please take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes. I read literally every comment and it's a great way to help us rise through the ratings. We've been growing quite a bit lately, but we still have a long way to go, and that minute or so you spend on iTunes could really make the difference. If you really like the show and just want to send us some cash, then hop on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. We have tons of additional content for you to access there, basically upping your Westside Fairy Tales intake to four audio programs per month at the $5 level. For a buck, you get early access to the regular show and access to update audio where I ramble and try to get you to laugh. You also get early access to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club audio cast where I go in-depth on the month's book and random horror recommendations. And for those of you who aren't on Patreon and don't already know, the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club podcast is on the main feed now. It's in addition to the normal podcast, and don't worry, it won't be replacing the West Side Fairy Tales or detracting from it at all. Really, it's just a way for me to connect with you guys in a more casual way so you can get to know me better and learn a little bit more about the recommendations. The Lit Club podcasts aren't necessary to understand the West Side Fairy Tales canon either, so feel free to skip them if you aren't interested, but thanks ahead of time if you decide to check them out. Well, that's it, guys. We did it. Season three of the West Side Fairy Tales is over. I, I really can't believe it. The difference a year makes is incredible. Where once there were dozens, sometimes hundreds of you, there are now tens of thousands, all showing up to hear me read stories that I never thought would get much traction at all when I was writing them. Not that I didn't think they were good, I just I didn't think anybody would care. But you guys did. And you keep turning out time and time again to hear my stuff. And I really, really can't say just how much I appreciate that. But uh, most of all, I'd like to thank you all for the financial support the podcast has brought me in the last year. We have ads now, which is incredible. There was perhaps one too many on this episode, but that it's my fault that there were so many. I messed up and had to redo an ad. So don't worry about this becoming the, uh, the classified section all of a sudden. Especially, let me reach out and say thank you to my patrons, who are some of my most dedicated supporters. I officially ended last season by reading the names of my, I think at the time, six patrons and promised to do so again this year. There are, for sure, a few more this time around. The West Side Fairy Tales will resume its regular schedule October 4th, debuting season four with the story of a young person whose friends start dying in odd ways after a visit to a strange house in the South Hills neighborhood of Charleston, West Virginia. It's a story very near and dear to my heart, and will introduce one of my favorite new characters, so I hope you will all 
Join me that first week of October for a story I call The Umbrella Man. And uh, stick around during the break for more horror and lit club episodes and possibly, maybe, definitely, a mini-sode coming sometime in September. But until then, as always, stay safe out there. The West Side Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Episode artwork by Yui Breedlove. All content here in copyright 2019 WSF Productions, LLC. everybody this is the reading of the, the patrons names as of july 3rd i'm gonna start at the uh, at the lowest tiers and work our way up so um in, in the very bottom tier welcome to the west side i'd like to shout a, send a shout out to francesca martinez samantha canadian true crime mandy ratliff beyond contempt and jocelyn coost also, Helen Foster and the Minds of Madness. Continuing on, these are the names on the official website. Uh, the, these names are permanent, so some of these people are no longer patrons. But because they gave me some money, like I, I don't, I don't feel like it would be right to take them off. So I keep them all listed um, on the website, and uh, you know, my heart goes out to you guys at the five dollar level and higher. The official Westsiders category, we have Luke Brooks, Fred Kuchenmeister, Christine S., Teresa Cochran, Emma Blackwell, Danielle Robertson, Once Upon a Crime, Garrett Cartmill, Lisa Weaver, Aaron McLaughlin, Matthew Maurer, Sean O'Neill, Janice J. Mikowski, Amanda M., Amy Henry, Laura Mickelson, Nancy Brooks, Michelle Mabel, Stephanie Pedley, Christy Mitchell, Anna Cecil, Matt Weaver, Mary C., Elizabeth Denault, Sam Swenson, and Wildy. In our West Side Regulars category, $10 and up, we have Soraya Crowley, C.C. Howell, Jack Luna, Melissa Robertson, Mindy Rister, Maria Thun, Francesca Martinez, Jess Lurvey, Jess DeCenzo, Brian McLaughlin, Dana Mora, DeWhitney Moore, John Kelly, and Sarah E. Samuelson. In the absolute gangsters category, that's $20 or more, we have Squilax McGreevy, Danny Camper, Aubrey McLeod McLaughlin, Jesse Fernandez, Stephanie Hammond, JT Smee, and Colin. And finally, in the last column, the Platinum Savage category, at $50 or more, the lovely, incredible, awesome, amazing Lily McWilliams, our highest, <laughs> literally our highest ever patron, who I really cannot thank enough. Lily, if you're out there, thank you so much for your support. All of my, all of my gangsters, my regulars, and my uh, my my official Westsiders, you guys really do make all of this happen. Um, 
it, it's incredible what you're what you're doing for me and the the support you show. Not just like throwing me some cash, but really like a lot of you talk to me and and you give me feedback on stuff. And I really can't just say enough how much I appreciate that. And and thank you all very much. Here's to season three. And uh, going forward to season four, I hope you all stick around, and um, I hope I make it all worth your while. Thank you very much, and until next year, as always, stay safe out there. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.